Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Y'all ready to open the Bible? Say yeah. yeah. If you have your paper Bible, say yeah. yeah. If you're on your phone, just go. <clears throat> My apologies. Paper Bibles are where it's at. Come on. Amen. Amen. Young people are like, seriously, leave me alone. However, let me encourage you. We actually have Bibles in the back at the bar. We have special beacon Bibles made just for this church. They have all of our information on them, and you are totally allowed to steal them. In fact, I'd encourage you to take two and give it away to somebody that you don't know, right? And be like, I got you a Bible. And they're like, I've never met you before. And you're like, it's cool. It's the best thing I can give you. If you have your Bible, say yeah. yeah. Open us up to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read uh, a long passage of scripture. We're going to read uh, Luke 8, 26 through 39, a story that many people have heard before. There are parallels in the other gospels of Matthew and of Mark, but I'm going to read the whole passage of scripture. We're going to let the Lord move in a mighty way. Luke 8, 26 through 39. I'm in the ESV and it reads like this. Then they, that's the disciples and Jesus, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee. Now you should know opposite doesn't just mean in another location. Opposite is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is pagan territory. These are unbelievers in the Decapolis. This is dangerous territory. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him. And he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Verse 30, then Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Another translation says legion, for we are many. Now, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter those pigs. And so he gave them permission. The demons then came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. And he was sitting at the feet of Jesus and he was clothed and in his right mind, but they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I'm super excited for this word today. Come on, somebody. There's so much good stuff. You ever read a whole passage and you're like, whoa, where do we even start? Are you kidding me? I love it. Title of our message today is how to win a fight. Amen. I need a couple fellas in the room. Title of today's message is how to win a fight. Come on. Do you have the graphic up? 
I want you all to see this. There it is. I want you to have the same posture as Travis. Victorious over every fight that comes your way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this word and this time together. Open this scripture and our hearts that we might be changed by you. Amen. Last week, we talked about storms. You remember that? We talked about how Jesus took the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, these fishermen, many of whom are experts on that very same sea in those very same boats, and Jesus allowed a storm to come, and that storm nearly took them out. They got Jesus up from where he was taking a nap. Jesus calmed the storm, and they learned a little something about Jesus and about their storms. And before we transition today to talk about a fight, I think it's important that we recap the difference between the two. There are storms in your life, amen? And there are fights that you fight. And these things are distinctly different. Let me set the stage. Storms in your life are circumstances, situations. They are temporal. These are happenings to you. And because we live in a fallen world, oftentimes these circumstances, these storms, they can cause distress. Amen? This is like when you lose your job. Amen? It happens. It's stressful. But it's temporal. Jesus allows these things to happen. He does it so that we can grow. He uses all of these things so that we might grow. It's on purpose for a purpose. Storms are things that we grow better in and learn to endure, amen? But that's not the same thing as a fight. You see, fights are not temporal. Fights are meant to be terminal. Fights are demonic assignments set to take you out. And I hope that I'm talking to a room full of people who, who've experienced the difference. We're mature enough to know <laughs> this, ain't, this ain't nothing. This is just a storm. I'm going to get through this. But a fight is altogether different. Fights are not just things that we endure. Fights are things that we must be transformed out of. Fights are long-term. They're meant to kill you. But God fights for you. The difference between a fight and a storm is this. A storm is when you lose your job, amen? But a fight is the curse of depression that the enemy wants to put on you afterwards, right? A, 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 a storm is when you get kicked out of your house. You foreclose on your home. You have nowhere to go. And a fight is the anxiety that the enemy puts on to you to try to keep you living in a state of fear forever and ever, amen? A storm is you get sick. A fight is I am sick. A storm is a bad diagnosis, but a fight says I'm going to die in this. You see the difference? The difference is what happens to you and what you are staying in when the enemy is attacking you. Amen? Now I want you to understand this. The Lord uses storms. He allows storms. He permits storms. But God is not a fan of fights. In fact, he wants to fight for you. I know that that sounds scary because we wish that God didn't bring storms in, but I want you to understand there's a few people in this room and if you need to tap somebody on the shoulder and be encouraged and say, what kind of a storm have you been through? There are more than enough testimonies in this place to blow your mind because there's a whole room full of superheroes and victors in this place. There's also a few people who have come out of every fight undefeated and that's not by their own volition. Amen. You're in a room full of people who have fought a few fights, and I'm in, my assignment today is to encourage you to learn how, how to win. So the first thing you need to do in any fight, ready? If you're taking notes today, number one is this. 
You need to know your enemy. You need to identify who it is that you are fighting. I want you to see in verse 30 here, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the demoniac runs up to him. The demoniac is terrorizing him. And Jesus has already begun to start making declarations like depart from here to the demons that are plaguing this man. But in verse 30, Jesus takes this tact. He says, what is your name? Jesus starts off this conversation by trying to identify the enemy. Now, I love the enemy's response. The enemy says, and I wish I could have been there. I always wish I was in the Bible. The enemy says to Jesus, and if you can imagine this in the most intimidating tone that a demon could enact, he says, we are legion for we are many. What he's saying in that moment is he's, he's trying to say to Jesus, you're outmatched. But you know, the enemy doesn't think he's got any chance. He's trying to intimidate Jesus in just hopes that maybe Jesus would back down. A legion in this time is a historical term. The Romans who occupied much of this territory were comprised of military forces. And a, a Roman legion is about 5,000 to 6,000 Roman soldiers, the most highly trained and the most well-armored. So when the demon says we are legion, he ain't saying there's a few of us in here. He's saying we got a whole army and uh, if you really want to pick a fight, it's going to be a fight. Now, I need you to understand the, the importance of identifying just who it is that you're fighting. Let, let me say this right now. Right now, each one of you is in a fight. Now, you may be towards the tail end of that fight. You might be right now in the middle of those fights. You might have just started that. Maybe you're just sensing the beginning of a dark season. Maybe winter comes and you get seasonal affectivity disorder. Does anybody find that January and February are the longest, darkest months in the whole world? Oh my gosh, I get so depressed in January, right? Everybody's like, here's my New Year's resolution. I'm like, when is the sun coming? out. I want to go home. Maybe you're in the beginning of that fight. Maybe you're stuck. And it is common human tendency when we're in a fight to misidentify whom we are fighting. But you have to know who this fight is against. Let me make it simple for you. Ready? Here's the deal. You are not fighting people. Amen. You are not right now, and you said, well, you don't know my ex. No, I don't. But that is not who you're fighting. See, your fight is not against people. Your fight is not against God. Many of us, when we're in the middle of a fight, what do we do? What are you doing to me, right? And he's like, well, hold on, I'm on your side. Many of us, we mislabel our enemy because we're confused about what's happening. We think that the people in our life are our enemy. We think that God over our life is our enemy. Or we think that the circumstances that we face, many of us think that the enemy in our life is addiction. I am fighting this addiction. Or affliction, I am fighting this disease. And I want to tell you here today, those are not your enemies. Those are the weapons of that enemy. You said weapon, now you're talking about my ex. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> what I'm saying is this, there is an enemy, he is real. And he is against you. He has an assignment on you. And if you start thinking that the people in your life are your enemy, you will defeat the people and still lose the fight. You are not here to win an argument. I need to say that five more times. You don't need to get the last word in, right? If they just put you in your place, just stay right in your place in the good graces of God, right? You're a fool. Amen. You don't need to win these fights. 
You need to win the fight. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we don't struggle against flesh and bone. Our fight, our struggle is against spiritual forces of evil. There are real things seen and unseen in this world that are set to take you out. And it's important that you know that. Now you say, pastor, I don't want to be all super spiritual. And every time I'm going through something, I'm like, the devil's got me down. Why don't you want to be like that? Why are you so afraid to be honest about the fight that you fight? Why does everything have to be so real? What what if I told you the enemy is fighting you? What if I told you that when you wake up in the morning and you have that dark, deep feeling that like you don't want to get up at all? What if I told you it's not because you're lazy, it's not because you're foolish, it's not because you're bad, it's not because you have terrible character, it's because the enemy's trying to take you out. What if I told you the truth? It's a spiritual fight. And the things that he uses are people and circumstances and storms and whatever he can throw your way to get you so that you'll quit. It's a fight against a spirit called the devil. Amen. I see so many of us miss it. We miss who we're fighting. And I want you to see something interesting here in, in, in 28. Before Jesus even asks the name and the identity of this demon, This man says something very interesting that demonstrates to us that he's having trouble identifying the enemy too. Verse 28, it says this, when he, that's the man, saw Jesus, he, that's the man, cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me? The son of Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high. He said, I beg you do not torment me. You see, if you read this same passage in Matthew, Matthew actually has a better picture of it. There's a discrepancy in the pronouns used here. When Luke writes it, he writes with detail. That's why we study the Lucene Gospel, because we believe that most of Luke's Gospel is very detailed accounts. So he writes what happened in a clear and distinct method so that the reader can understand all of the details. But when Matthew writes the same account, he doesn't write that the man says me. He writes as though the demons are speaking. It says the demons rushed to Jesus. Jesus and said, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you have to do with us? We beg you don't torment us. I believe the discrepancy is on purpose. Matthew understands that this is a spiritual fight. Matthew knows that even though the man is talking, it is the enemy who is talking through him. Okay. But Luke writes the way the man speaks because the man doesn't know it's the enemy speaking through him. The problem with the man here in this fight is that he's failed to identify the enemy because he's identified himself with the enemy. Oh, see, you missed it. Here's the deal. He is saying to Jesus, the only savior, the only high God, the only one able to save him and deliver him. He says, did you come to kill me? Because I'd kill me too. I've been lost in this and stuck in this and I live naked and shackled and I live in the tombs and no one loves me. And if you came to kill me, just leave me alone or kill me now. He's not saying I'm suffering. Can you save me? He said, I'm suffering. End me. He has begun to embrace the curse that is on his life. He has said, I'm not just depressed, I'll always be depressed. I'm not just sick, I'm dying. He said, I'm not just making bad choices, I'm a bad person. Here's the problem for so many of us, is we do one of two things in our fight. We blame other people because we think they're the enemy. Or we blame ourselves because we think, or the enemy. Let me break this to you. 
You are not your enemy. You are not bad. You are struggling with sin and the attack of the enemy, but God did not come to kill you. He came that you might have life. Amen? He says to the man, what is your name? The demon says, we are legion, for we are many. And then Jesus begins the work of the fight. Now, here's the deal. You have to know that you're fighting the enemy, amen? But more than just knowing that you're fighting the devil, which is kind of an abstract concept, I'm aware of that, right? And not everyone in your life needs to hear you say like, I'm in a battle to the death with Satan. That, <laughs> that is weird. But you can think it, amen? You can think, this is me and the enemy. And part of my fight means that I need to know how the enemy fights. So not just identifying the enemy, but you also need to understand this enemy. And I want you to see, there's actually a clear little understanding, a clear battle plan of the strategies and the weaknesses of the enemy that you fight and that you face. So let's do this. Let's talk about the strategy of the enemy, what he came to do in the fight that is against you here today. I want you to see this in verse 27. Verse 27 says, when Jesus stepped on land, he met the man. And for a long time, the man had worn no clothes. Okay, let's talk about that. If you were the kind of person who walked around naked, would you have much community? Be honest, right? If you showed up to Beacon on a Sunday in the buff, and we welcome a lot of kinds of people, you know what I'm saying? We'd be like, hey, somebody needs to handle that. Um, he's naked all the time. Amen. And it says, and he lived among the tombs, not in a house. The enemy's first assignment on this man is to isolate him. And that is what the enemy does in every fight in your life. His primary goal, his first attack, the first jab in the fight is to separate you from the crowd, get you away from people, that you fight this battle all by yourself. That's why I get so sad when I hear people tell me, Pastor, I think what you guys are doing at Beacon is really cool. And I think that you're on Colfax is super rad. I don't go to church. I'm spiritual on my own. I pray a bunch. And I'm like, <laughs> should come to my church, they will laugh at that. No, that's terrible. No, look, I know that sounds safe, but it's the single most unsafe thing that you can do as a believer. To believe that you can fight this fight all by yourself is not only dangerous, it's also foolish, it's also incredibly misaligned with what God teaches us about chasing after him. Our faith is communal, our faith is together, our faith is an our faith, it's not a my faith. You can't pray down heaven together, you can't be held accountable by yourself, come on somebody. Worship like we have here doesn't happen all by yourself all the time. You don't know what it's like to do three key changes in the first song, you can't do do that. The enemy tries to isolate you first and foremost. What he does is he moves the man. He takes off his clothes and he puts him in the tombs to separate him because the first thing that the enemy wants to do is steal community because he understands the value of community. Okay. Verse 29, the Bible says, for he had Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many a time it had seized him. The man had been kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he'd break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Verse 29 tells us that another strategy of the enemy is that he might restrain you, might bound you, might bind you, might hold you down so that you can't do anything. 
What do you mean by that? I, I mean it's in the words that you speak. One of the enemy's most effective tactics is to get you saying things that he says about you, like I'm ugly, I'm foolish, I'm worthless. How about this one? No one will ever love me. See, those are words that the enemy speaks to you that if you'll repeat, just bind you. So that when you finally meet somebody who wants to love you, you're so wrapped up in this pain and this affliction of yours that you can't be unraveled or opened or seen or even touched. He takes the man and he says, let's strip him of his clothes, let's separate him from his people and let's wrap him up so that he can't even find his way out. He imprisons people. Through the attacks of your life, his job is to keep you all by yourself, to keep you alone, and to keep you separated from all of us. Why? Because he wants to kill your ability to grow. If you know anything about horticulture, I don't know if you do, but I'm learning. I've never kept a single plant alive, but my house is full of wonderful plants because my wife loves them. Here's something you should know. Did you know you can manipulate plants to grow in any direction that you want? The way that she said, duh. You can actually bind a plant and direct its leaves to grow in a certain, oh, I hope you know where I'm preaching with this here today. You can bind a plant to prevent it from growing at all. You can also loose a plant that it might bring forth the fullness of its fruit exactly the way God means it. And here's the thing, the enemy is seeking to bind you to limit growth. He just wants to tie you up. So even the smallest little sapling that might come out is not nearly strong enough to do anything. Isolate, restrain, kill your community and kill your growth. And then the last one is in verse 33. And this is kind of the complicated, complicated part of the message. The Bible says, then the demons, after asking for permission from God, came out of the man and went into the pigs. And the pigs went down the steep bank into the lake and they drowned. The third and the kill shot strategy of the enemy is that he might destroy you. Make no mistake, these pigs didn't accidentally drown. That was always the plan of this enemy on this man. You hear me? The enemy's attack on your life is not meant to inconvenience you. It's not meant to make you fearful, make you weak, make you stumble, make you worry, make you suffer. Those are wonderful parts of his plan that he loves to participate in. No, his plan is to destroy you. That's it. He wants to kill your chance at eternal life. That's why John 10.10, Jesus says, the enemy came to steal, steal your community, kill, kill your growth, and destroy, destroy your chance of living forever with Jesus. That's the whole thing. Now do you see the difference between a storm and a fight, right? A storm is a minor inconvenience. A fight is here to take you out. Amen? Most of us, we... Uh, Boy, don't we make fights out of storms? Yeah. You ever been through just like a little thing, but boy, in the moment, it was a big thing. And you're just like, I'll never get through this. <laughs> and you get through it and you're like, it's a miracle. <laughs> you're like, you literally lost your, your AirPods. What are you talking about? <laughs> but that's kind of a big thing. I'm not lying to you. I lost my AirPods last week. I was kind of freaked out. <laughs> There's some storms that are bigger than others. Amen. 
Here's what you need to understand. You got to know who you're fighting. You got to know how the enemy fights. And the best way to know him is not just the strategy, but you should know what his weaknesses are. Let me explain this to you. Your enemy is not an insurmountable foe. He has a real weakness. And here's what it is. Verse 28, when the demoniac confronts Jesus, the enemy, the devil, the demons inside of him yell out to Jesus a phrase that I think you're going to love. They say, what have you to do with us in this moment right here? They already know who Jesus is. And Jesus didn't show up with an entourage. Jesus didn't show up with, a, with an armor bearer. He got off the boat first. Remember this, okay? The disciples have just come from their comfort zone over the lake through a storm. They almost died. Jesus calms the storm. They get to the beach and he gets right off. Picture in your sanctified imagination, the disciples. They're not ready for another fight. They're like, for real, doc, just take a break. I'm freaking out. Thomas has no idea if this is working. Peter's yelling at everybody. John just wants a hug. We need a moment, man. And Jesus just gets right off. And he's like, chill. Where's your faith? I got it. And the demon comes running up to him. And he says, Jesus, son of the most high God, whatever you have to do with me, I beg you, do not torment me. Would that you could have seen this moment when this man who was a pagan, who lived in the Decapolis, he's the worst of the worst. He has no understanding of Jewish culture or the rabbis or any of that stuff. He most assuredly has not heard yet the legend of this Jesus. He runs up and he calls him by his name, Yeshua, by his title, the son of the most high God. He is saying, I know exactly who you are and I'm begging you don't take me out right now. Jesus didn't say, good to see you. Jesus may have heard of me from such miracles as, uh, he gets off the boat and the demon knows exactly who he is. The demon, the enemy, the devil's weakness is Jesus. That's the secret weapon. You don't know this. When they run up to in verse 28 and they say, what, have you have to do? what do you have to do with us? They are recognizing that Jesus is God right there. They are not fooled. Jesus is not a legend. Jesus is not a friend. Jesus is not a teacher. They know that he has all power. Verse 28, they say, do not torment us. They know that Jesus is not only God, but he's also judge they don't use a phrase like, don't come near us. They don't use a phrase like, don't tell us what to do. They use a very specific phrase. This phrase is in all of the translations, all of the parallels. They say, do not torment us. Yeah. They recognize that Jesus is God and good, but also has all power to declare what's good and bad, and they know they're bad. And then they say this last part. They say in verse 32, please don't send us into the abyss. Let us go into those pigs. And Jesus gives them permission because they recognize that they can do nothing apart from the spoken permission of Jesus. And in that moment, they recognize that Jesus is God, that Jesus is judge, and that Jesus is king even though they're not in the kingdom. And I need you to know this because there's gonna be a few fights in your life where you feel like you're done for. 
who haven't had a fight like that yet, just stay Christian for a little bit longer. There was, there will be a few fights where it will hurt so bad that you will just want to lose so it's over. And if you don't know who's in your corner, you will lose. If you don't know the devil's weakness, you'll put your hands down and he will strike a final blow. Amen? You have to know who's in your corner. And this is the best part. He who the devil fears is the same dude in your corner. Amen. It ain't like the devil's afraid of this and you got a facsimile. Come on, somebody. The same God who is standing in your corner today, the same Holy Spirit who indwells the life and the body of every believer is the same spirit, the same God, the same conqueror that when the enemy shows up and he's like, we're gonna take him out. And you say, the name that is above every name, you just simply say, no, you're not in the name of Jesus. The enemy's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Y'all didn't tell me at Jesus. Yeah, we'll be fine. No, we won't. You need to know that. You should understand that. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't have Jesus like that, I'm so glad this is your day. Amen? Because here's the deal. If you don't know that Jesus is in your corner, you get an opportunity for him to be in your corner. Now, you should miss, you shouldn't miss this, okay? You shouldn't miss this. You shouldn't miss this. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is not only in your corner metaphorically. I mean to tell you that Jesus is in your corner logistically. Notice in this text that Jesus goes all this way with these disciples, using the storm along the way to grow their faith. But the whole mission, the whole mission, this whole section of text is what? So that Jesus could go to this man. And if you read any passage of scripture, you're going to find that story a million times where Jesus goes out of his way to find people who've lost their way. That's the whole thing. And so you're here and you're like, you should just know this, pastor. I like Beacon because it feels authentic. And I'm like, that's sweet. That's so rad to hear. And you're like, I love being here because it feels like there's people who've been through a few of the things that I've been through. And I'm like, that's good because there are. And then you're like, and, and you know, I kind of, I should just be honest with you. You don't, you don't know how far off I am. I'm like, you're right. I don't, but I'd, I sure would be privileged to learn. It's my great honor to walk with people who are far from God and walk with them as they find their way back to God. But here's what you can't miss. Jesus knows exactly where you are. He's never been confused. You aren't too far away from him. It's never too dark. You've never turned away from him and he's lost sight of you. Amen? See, you think, and I've done this before, but I think it bears repeating. You think that when you're standing before the throne of grace and it's all close and intimate and then you turn your back on God, you think he stays there, don't you? You think he's right here in heaven and he's like, come on back whenever you're ready. Come on to me, right? And so you walk away and you make some compromises, some mistakes and fall into some sin and then you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta get my life right. But it's so far and you turn around and there's Jesus. And he's like, what's up? You ready to party again or what's going on? 
Oh, and I'm watching you, you're making terrible choices. <laughs> I'm ready to start again though. That's our Jesus. He goes way out of his way. He goes way into the dark places. Actually, that's where Jesus does his best work. Can I tell you this? And it's true that if you are going to understand this fight, you need to understand the strategy of the enemy. But, but let me make this very clear to you. You should also understand the strategy of our God. You should know exactly how he fights. Now, I think, oh, I got five minutes. Can, 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 oh, this is so good. Can, can y'all give me, who will give me just one minute? Just raise your hand if you give me one minute. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, we're going to be just fine. What time's the Broncos play? They're, they're, they're playing at 11. They're already playing. So you won't miss nothing. Let's go. Here's the deal. Jesus has a strategy for saving us, for fighting for us. Jesus loves a good fight. And his strategy is something we can call the redemptive edge. And I want to show a picture for you real quick. I need five guys real quick. Onias, can you help me? Come up here real quick. Come over on this side. I need five guys to come on stage. Pastor, Daniel, Onias, Lucas. I need one more. Five guys. Quick. Okay. Come here. Come here. Quick, quick, quick. Y'all bear with me. One right here. Pastor. Hey, right here. Onias, right here. Oh, Onias is in school with me together. Oh, Onias, thank you. He's way smarter than me. Okay, right here, right here, right here. All right, Lucas, right center, dead center. Okay, Daniel, Daniel, right here. Okay, Mark, right here, right here. Okay, this is called the continuum of Christ's care for his people. Isn't that good? Pastors love that stuff. I'll say it again if you missed it. This is called the continuum of Christ's care for his people. This is the journey that Jesus goes on and the way in which he cares for people. There are five stages along this journey, okay? It's this, comfort, okay? What's this next one? Hold on, it's very complicated for me. Okay, okay, comfort, caution, conflict, criticism, and chaos. Okay, this is where the demoniac lives. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that, but it worked out, it worked out. Okay, all right, comfort, caution, thank you, Daniel, conflict, criticism, and chaos. Okay, most of us prefer comfort, don't we? You come to church, and we got good donuts, come on somebody. We got hot water <laughs> for your tea. We've got cold brew. We've got hot coffee. Sometimes when we don't have donuts, we have the single greatest home-baked scones, muffins, or treats you've ever had in your entire life. Talk about comfort. This is where most of us like to be. This is where the modern North American church resides. Right here. Super comfortable, right? Okay. Caution. This is, you know, I like it there at that church. I had to park three blocks away. <laughs> but most everything else is good. This is where most of us will tolerate ministry. I'd prefer it here, <laughs> right? But if they run out of donuts on one Sunday, I'll probably be fine. Okay, conflict. Well, this is where things get dicey because this is where the pastor started not only reading your mail, 
but start talking what he called absolute truth from the Bible that contradicts everything that you know about the world. This is where conversations around gender and around abortion and around race begin to rub you the wrong way because most of us like it here. And I sure would like it if my pastor was filling the political party. But when he's not, it's not only uncomfortable, but I gotta be honest with you, sometimes he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And your pastor's literally reading scripture and you're like, that's not what Ted Cruz, Bernie Sanders said. Can I push you for just a second? Are y'all okay with this? You're like, that is not what they said on CNN. That's not true, pastor. And I'm like, <laughs> what? No, hold on. Those are not the same sources. Or Fox, it doesn't matter. This is where all of a sudden what you hold dear from your ideological paradigm is somehow ruffled by this whole Jesus thing. And ready, this is where most people leave church. Most of them are like, I, here's the deal. I can find that two blocks away. But some of you are strong and you're like, it's fine. He has no idea what he's talking about in political issues, but he's funny. So you stay. But there's some things he does that you simply do not like. And so you tell people about those things. You just never tell him about those things. You see, there are some things that Jesus does that are frustrating to you, they're confronting to you. And when you're really honest about it, it's mostly birthing a spirit of criticism. And people say things like this about the church. It's really neat what they're doing, but it's not sustainable. You just can't have a church in downtown Denver and talk like they talk. They need to soften it up a little bit. They should probably talk more about purpose or calling, right? But he's always yelling, always yelling. And he spits a lot and I don't like that part. So I sit in the back. This is where, where people mostly leave church. And this is where people, oh, this is the curse, where they stay, but they tear it down. This is why Jesus is always talking to the Pharisees, always confronting the Pharisees. He's always talking to them and says, I know you think you know what you're talking about, but you have no idea what you're talking about. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. All you do is put heavy burdens on these people and you pretend to know what's best for ministry, but you don't know what you're talking about because you're not God. That's what Jesus says to them. And I'm pushing you. I'm not God. Amen. We're all learning. But we have to learn together. And then here's the last part. Chaos. <laughs> this is where the world is suffering. And this is where Jesus does all of his work. Jesus lives right here. Read your Bible. Read every gospel all the way through from start to finish. Jesus does all of his work between the moments when they're complaining and the moments where they're dying. Between the moments when there's trouble and when it's so close to darkness that no one wants to be there. Jesus lives right here between criticism and chaos. It's where he does his best work. I want to tell you this. Real ministry is done in the messy margins. It's right here. Why? How do I know this? Because when most of us are finally broken enough, finally desperate enough, we're this close to death, that's when we're actually willing to let him do his work in our heart. And here's the problem. Most of us are right here. We come to church and we're like, I love it here, but I'm still suffering. And I don't know how to win the fight and the storms are taking me out. And I'm, I'm asking you this, how do you close the gap? 
How, how do you get so that he can do something right here so that you can be brought to the place of chaos where you said, I'm losing, I'm dying, I need salvation, help me. And the way that you do it is let go of your comfort zone. Some of us are so stuck here, we're dying in our comfort. Okay, if I do this with you, I just have to push you. We can't be this church. I won't pastor this church. I won't even go to this church. You have to belong to a church that says we will be in the margins with people. We will cross the seas with people. I will be one of those people who is naked and isolated before the Father and says, help me, save me. I miss you. I love you. I want to come home. And we will be the kind of church that embraces you. Amen. Final thoughts. Gentlemen, thank you. You can jump off. I love you. Sorry for yelling. We're over time. Just last thought for you. Last thought, real quick, okay? Here's the deal. Final thoughts. I shouldn't have ran. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm getting older. Here's the deal. There's some, some interesting stuff still in this text, and I don't want to miss it, but I'm just going to leave you with four final thoughts. Here's the deal. The victory that you want in the fight that you have is guaranteed in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you leave with anything today, leave with that. No matter what you're fighting, if Jesus is in the fight, you will win. You said, does that mean I will be healed from every affliction? No, but that affliction won't hold you forever. I know people who have lived with diseases for years and you'd never know it. Why? Because the disease doesn't have their heart. Right? I know people who are saved and sanctified and they're set free of every disease and they're still miserable. That's because they're not living in Jesus' name. So here's the deal. Victory in Jesus' name is a guarantee. Now, you should know this. Victory that you have might be offensive. When Jesus does this moment and he heals this man and the demons ask, take us, take us somewhere, but don't send us into the abyss. Send us into those pigs. Jesus sends them into the pigs. Now, for Jews, pigs are dirty and they don't eat pigs and they're against pigs, but they're not in the territory inhabited by the Israelites. They're across the river. And for these people, those pigs our lifeblood. It's a whole herd, and it means a great loss of income. And that's on purpose in this text. Jesus didn't make a mistake. Jesus did something of great power that even the doubters had to reconcile with. And I want to tell you this today. If Jesus is in your fight, the world is going to know about it. And it's going to make some enemies. It's going to offend some people. You're going to walk out of a relationship and go, you know what? I can't do this anymore. You're going to walk out of an addiction and people are going to say, what do you think? You're better than us. You're going to stand up firm about your beliefs at your job and say, I can't play these games with you. I'm a Christian. Stop talking like this to me. And people are going to get offended. They're going to ruffle their feathers. But guess what? So what? Better to appease God than appease man. Number one, your victory. It might be offensive. Number two, I'm sorry. Trust you. Love you. The reports of your victory might be disputed. You see, the word goes out that Jesus has healed the man that no one thought could be saved, healed, or delivered. The report goes out. The Bible says when they come to find that man, in verses 34 through 37, it says in 36, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. They knew the good news. And then it says, and then they got scared and they sent Jesus away. I want you to understand this. Not everyone's going to get it. And you don't need to find a way to approve it to everybody. Amen? You get to be a Christian whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not, whether they tell you stories about old you or not. They're like, you were worse than us. You're like, yes, I was. 
doesn't make my future any different. The victory may be offensive, the reports might be disputed, but the results stand on their own. Last part of this message is that the demoniac, this man who had begged Jesus in the beginning of this story, please stay away. At the end of this passage, he finds a home at the feet of Jesus. His response is the correct response, the perfect response. He simply wants to be with Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. The Bible says that Jesus, oh Lord, sees the man and says, I know you want to be with me. And one day we will. Oh my God. But right now, you have a mission. He says, I want you to get on your feet clothed and in your right mind. And I want you to walk back into the Decapolis, into those cities that rejected you and into those neighbors that shunned you and amongst those people who hated you. And I want you to tell the whole world what God has done for you. You may not know this, but this man, the most unqualified, the worst of the worst in this text has become the very first missionary for Jesus Christ ever. Search the text. He's the first one sent out. He's the worst. He's the worst. He is a demon in the part A of the story, but in part B, he carries the banner of Jesus Christ. And I want to, I want to tell you this today. Every fight you fight is meant to take you out. But Jesus is in the fight and he wants to take you in, into who you call, he's called you to be and into all of the places that doubted that he was God so that you might declare just how good he is. That's the fight. Amen? You live to fight another day. Would you stand on your feet all over the room today? We're gonna worship just one more time. Love you. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!